So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be here present in such a way that we would be aware, uh, that it would be real to us. It wouldn't be um, just something we hoped would happen today, that we would actually feel and experience the power and presence of God. Father, um, several people have told me in the last two days that you're working some kind of revival in places like currently. We would never want to miss something like that, God. We would want to be part of anything that you're doing, and we want to be revived, oh God. And so we just pray right now, if it be true, God, if this would be a time when you begin to pour out your Holy Spirit upon our nation, oh, we so plead that it would be, God. We pray to you. We are so desperate, and we so need a work of God in our own hearts, in our own community, in our state, in our nation, in this world. We are so desperate this morning, God, and we just pray that you would see fit to include us in whatever you're doing. We just want to be part of it. And we want you to lead and guide, and we want you to fill us with a deeper love for Christ. We want to have a greater appreciation for what it means to be a son or daughter of God and all that you have for us. And we pray that you would speak to us, God. I pray that no one this morning would get left behind. I pray that no one would be so distracted or unable to pay attention. And I pray that you would take um, a very broken vessel, God. I'm a very broken vessel. I don't have much to offer in myself, but you can use someone like me. And you can use your mighty, powerful Word of God. And your Holy Spirit can take the Word and um, cut right into the very heart and soul of anyone here. So we pray that you would do spiritual surgery at the great surgeon of heaven would minister today in a great way and that we would when we come to the end and we come to the Lord's table we would just be so full of love for you in Jesus name amen I want to read or walk through what was just read for you um, we've gone through first Corinthians we're kind of moving over into second Corinthians and some of you who know what we do we, we will work our way through but sometimes we take a break and we feel that we need to stop a series we're in and talk about something else, but we're, um, as I prayed and asked God to please direct us, um, I didn't see a reason not to keep going because there's some wonderful things in Second in Corinthians that we can talk about. There's not a book of the Bible that there's not wonderful things in, but sometimes we're just trying to figure out, well, like, Lord, what do you, what do you have next? And one of the really cool things is the, the Bible being the Word of God it means that it's, it's for us. It's a, living, it's a living book. It's still ministering to people. It was written a long time ago, but it's ministering effectively and powerfully to people. There are people in this room. There's quite a few people in this room that can testify personally to the power of God's Word impacting their lives. There are people in this room whose lives have been transformed by this book. And if you're not one of those, then I'm hoping and praying that you will be. I just want to testify. I want you to let you know that if you're sitting in here today, and you're uncertain about the power of this word, that there are people in here that could tell you, if you just had a minute and say, can you sit down with me and tell me how the word of God has changed your life? There are people that could answer in a really amazing way, more than you think, more than you think. There are more testimonies that could be told in our church, in any church, in any church where Christ is working. There are people living in our day right now in this generation who can testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in such a way that you would step back and go, whoa, I have totally misunderstood and misjudged what Christianity is all about. But that's, I just want to share that. I don't know if you're going to feel anything today. I just want to know if you don't, then you might be alone. 
Or you might be one of the ones who doesn't feel something today. But there are people that when they hear the Word of God, they get excited and the Word of God begins to resonate in their minds and their hearts. And they start feeling a move of God. There are people who will commune with God while we're in this room here today. And there are people who will come to the Lord's table and it will not just be a dead ritual to them. It will mean something to them and they will feel themselves drawing close to Christ. So I just want to say right up front, don't get left behind. Don't get left out. So I'm going to pray again and pray that you won't. Father, I just pray right now. Maybe there's someone sitting right here right now that needs an adjustment before we go any farther. Oh God, give us ears to hear and a heart to change. In Jesus' name, amen. So the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So how did Paul become an apostle? What is an apostle? Apostle is someone sent by God, commissioned by God. There were 12 apostles who had something of a unique relationship with God. And they were apostles appointed directly by Jesus Christ in such a way that they became the foundation and the, um, the men that God primarily used to give us the scriptures and to begin to lay the foundation of the early church. There were many people used by God to lay that foundation, but there was a special group that they had a special call of God and they were not self-appointed, it says, by the will of God. And then Timothy, our brother, this is really neat. If you're in Christian ministry, then you probably notice things like this and it's like, how cool. Paul always seemed to have people around him. He was always discipling another person. So whenever we meet Paul, he usually had a little entourage with him of people that were following, walking with Christ. So I want to ask you, do you think like that? Do you kind of think, wow, as I grow in the Lord, I probably ought to have some people around me that I can encourage in their walk with the Lord. I probably should have someone ahead, down the road ahead of me a little bit. And so I'm being mentored in that sense. And I ought to have someone that I'm saying, Lord God, who do you want me to minister to? And so there ought to be like this, this string, like a rope, someone ahead of you, someone that you're inviting along in the process as well. And that's what the Bible would call discipleship. And then he speaks to, he's writing to the church of God that is at Corinth. Now, Corinth is where it's modern day Greece. Then it was called Achaia and this whole area. So there was a church. And there were other Christians because he says to the others in that general area. So he's writing a letter to Christians at Corinth expecting that other Christians were going to find this really interesting and really helpful. And here we are 2,000 years later going, this is really interesting and really helpful. He wrote it in such a way that it could be ministered to the people living in that day and still be effective ministering to people in our day. So it's an old book, but it's got a lot of new things to say to us and teach us. So I hope you'll feel that as we make our way through. One of the things this book talks a lot about are grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about grace, the grace of God. The Bible never tells anyone, though some people get this very confused, some people think the Bible says be good and you can go to heaven. The Bible doesn't ever suggest that anyone is good. There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible is a book with a message about grace. 
grace, the grace of God. By grace you can be saved, not by good works. And then also peace, peace from God. When you enter into a relationship with God, suddenly you have this wonderful deposit of a gift from God that's called peace. Peace of God, peace with God, peace in God, a peace, a right relationship restored, a wholeness, not just the termination of war or enmity, the peace of God is bigger than that. It's a, it, it describes a state of wholeness and health given to us by God when we enter into peace. So it's a very typical topic. It's in all Paul's greetings or salutations. That's the way he wrote a letter. You know how we will say at the end, love so-and-so. Well, this is kind of like how Paul would say, peace of God uh, for you. And also you'll notice in all of Paul's letters intertwined or a constant interplay between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So all Paul's writings are Trinitarian and we see that here. He'll talk about God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll talk much in this book about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God. And so we are Trinitarian. We believe very much in the three persons of the Godhead. We need the Father and are so thankful that He sent the Son to die on the cross for our sins and He gives us the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and to draw us to God and to be our counselor and guide and encourager. Now he begins this section that I want to talk a little bit about today and I want to talk about the comfort of God and the suffering of Christ and how that relates to our suffering and then our ability to minister comfort to other people. And so if you've ever suffered and you've wondered why, maybe this passage will help you a little bit in understanding that. And if you've ever suffered and didn't feel like you could make it through it, then we can turn our eyes to Christ and see how he suffered for us. And that's going to encourage us to keep going forward when we think about how much Christ loved us and suffered on our behalf. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. Often when I pray, I use that phrase, God of all comfort. I'll be praying with someone and they have a need and I'll say, may the God of comfort. It's just a great phrase. I love it. And then I also think of people need mercy and I happen to know the Father of mercies. He's full of mercy. He's very gracious and benevolent and generous with mercy. He loves to give mercy if it's, it's his favorite thing to do is to extend mercy. He extends mercy to us. Mercy, grace could be described as getting something you don't deserve, like getting something good you don't deserve, like a gift. That's grace. You didn't earn it. And mercy could be described as not getting what you do deserve, like you might deserve punishment or a fine. And it's like mercy is like not getting what you deserve. It's like someone takes, you deserved it, but you don't get it. That's mercy. And God's all about mercy. I don't want what I deserve. Anybody here want what you deserve? I don't want what I, I don't want what I earn. I don't want to stay. I would never go before God and say, just give me what I've earned. That's the last thing I want. I want mercy. I want the mercy of God. I want the grace of God. So when we pray to God, remember that He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When we share the gospel, remember that we're communicating a message from a God of comfort and mercy. And then it says, He who comforts us in all our affliction. In our affliction. He doesn't say, oh, and by the way, Christians of Corinth, we don't have afflictions. We rise above them all. 
We don't feel pain in this world. Do you know that every person that lives in this world will have affliction? There's affliction for everyone. Everyone. Christians break their legs. Christians um, have to wear braces. Christians have cancer. Christians die. Christians lose loved ones. Everything the same. There's a certain type of suffering that's just part of being in this world. And we are not exempt from all that. It's a bad theology if someone makes you give this idea that you're supposed to rise above problems in this world. It's like, well, the reason you're having this problems is because you're sinning. Now, I will say sin does cause its own set of problems. But nobody is free from problems. We live in a broken world. It's a fallen world. All you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do is think through your last week. All you have to do is talk to someone and it won't be long before they're going to share something that's troubling them or something happened to them or they have a hurt or they had something happen to them that just is painful. And it doesn't take long when you get past the surface. That's why some people don't like the, hi, how are you doing? Fine. You know, some people like, don't, don't say that, but I'm okay with it. It's like, it's a general thing you say when people, when you don't want to have to stop and have a 10 minute conversation. Sometimes you just say, good, I'm on my way somewhere. It's kind of what you're saying. You don't sit there and go, oh, let me tell you what happened to me this last week. I mean, you might, but that's going to require probably a sit down. So, but the truth of the matter is we all have afflictions and we need to be comforted. And it talks about he comforts us in all our affliction. All our afflictions means, well, it means all. Not just some, not just the big stuff. That we have a father of mercy who cares so much about, in other words, if it's bothering you, he's open to talking about it. I like to say this to marriages because some people will say something like this. They'll say, well, that's your problem to their spouse. And I'll, I always say if it's one person's problem, it's two people's problem in marriage. And because two people have to work together. And so you can't just dismiss something and say, well, that's her problem. That's his problem. It's like, well, no, let's talk about it. And Christ never, Christ doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't go, well, that's your problem. I don't care. I'm up here running the universe. I don't care that your boyfriend broke up with you. That's stupid. You're in eighth grade. <laughs> he doesn't say stuff like that. It's like, if it bothers you, he cares. He is a father of mercy. And he cares like that. And he wants you to learn to take your concerns to him so that you learn to open your heart up to God so that you can enter in <clears throat> to the comfort that he might have for you. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. So if you've had an affliction, you're capable of ministering to someone who's having an affliction. If you've been through stuff, then you can minister to people who are in stuff. If you can't, then sometimes you just need to be quiet. Sometimes people come in and they have all the answers and you go, well, have you ever been through anything? Like, no, but let me just tell you what you ought to do. Like, sorry. I, I don't know how doctors, male doctors who deliver babies really get to say much. <laughs> they say, oh, we delivered three babies today. You ain't delivered nothing. You watched a woman do all the work. You didn't deliver a baby. And in the same sense, when people are suffering, they want to know that you understand what they're talking about. And you're like, really? You've went through something like this or worse or kind of like it and God 
didn't forsake you? Like, can you tell me that God was with you? Can I hope that in this thing I'm going through, God might be with me? Yes, I can promise you he will. If you're a child of God, I can promise you. I'm going to tell you some of the things he's been with me. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to trump what, you, what you've been through. I'm not trying to say, well, let me tell you what. I'm just trying to say, I've been through some stuff. And for me, it was the hardest stuff I've ever been through. And God was with me. And he was good and he was there. I'm not saying it was easy. He didn't, you know, evaporate me or beam me up when this stuff was going on. It's like, no, no, he was with me through it. It's like he held my hand as we walked through this. And sometimes I can also say God has eliminated some of my afflictions. Sometimes he just took it away. But most of the time, he holds my hand through. That's what normally happens. Okay, and then in the church of Christ and believers are able to minister to one another because they've been through some junk. Okay, that's why. And also, I just want to encourage you. Some of you have some junk you've been through and you don't ever share it with anybody. Shame on you. You're withholding a ministry to other Christians because you're afraid they might look down on you if they knew what you've been through. You're worried about judgment that you're not able, capable of being a minister. You can't minister if you're not going to get real. And you can't get real if you hide all your junk. It's like, ooh, they won't think I'm a good Christian if they know what a... There are no good Christians. Christians are just people who serve a great king and a great God. He's the good one, not us. And we got to keep pointing to him. We don't come in here to point to so-and-so. You should meet so-and-so. They're a really good Christian. I mean, I'm not going to freak out if someone uses those words. I know what they generally mean. It's like they really take their faith seriously. But bottom line is Jesus said no one, you know, no one is good. He said good teacher. He said, well, no one is good, actually. And we have to get past this thing where we come to church acting like people actually think we're good. And we're all dressed up and we got our act together. No, you don't. You're learning you're, you're not even close to being the finished product. Are you not glad about that? Are you not glad that this ain't the full you? There's a lot more coming. Praise be to God. I would not want to spend eternity with y'all. <laughs> but I'm glad that's going to change. Because God's going to keep working and keep changing us. And that's what he's saying. If you suffer and I minister to you during the suffering, you've got to tell that. Tell that to people. That's part of your story. Look at what God... I'm going to tell you, we have some brokenness in here that nobody knows about because we're afraid that someone's going to judge us or our reputation is going to go... Eh. You know what it's going to do? It's going to go... Eh, eh. People love authenticity and they get tired of deception and finding out... Um, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. There's a, um, I get the opportunity to counsel people before they get married a lot of times. And so um, I'm counseling um, my son and his fiance. Well, let me restate that. I'm counseling my son and his going to be fiance because it's probably coming pretty quick. I hope he's not listening today. Um, because sometimes he does. Uh, but here's what I've learned. He's like, Dad, um, 
I've got a lot of junk in my past. I said, I know. And I said, and she does too. And I said, okay. And he said, but I, I love her. And we love Christ and we want to try to honor Christ. And I said, okay. And he said, um, it hurts when I find out stuff. And I said, well, of course it does. And then it hurts when I tell stuff. And I said, of course. And he said, here's the interesting thing. She thinks that if I tell stuff, I'm not going to love her anymore. That, that one thing that she says is like, oh, I didn't know that about you. And I said, I said, let me tell you something that's beautiful. Here's what's beautiful. When a young man and a young woman or a man and a woman come to the altar and they're standing getting ready to enter into a covenant before God till death do they part I said there's two ways to come one way you can come and say there's some secrets in my life I hope she never finds out and you'll live in fear that Satan is one day going to be clever enough to reveal it and it's going to destroy your marriage because you, were, you never laid it out there. I said, there's a second way to come into your marriage and that's both of you go, as far as I know, I haven't hidden anything from you. And I still want to marry you and I still want you to marry me. We're open. I know as much as I can possibly know about you and I want to stand here before God and witness and say, I know as much as I can know about you and I love you and I'm not leaving you or forsaking you. Do you know that's how God loves you? He knows everything about you and he says, I am ready to enter into a covenant with you, with my blood. I will seal it with my blood. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God comes into your life and he knows everything. And he says, and I love you and I died for you. And I want you to be, I want to be wed to you. I want to be united to you. And then you go, wow, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He knows it all. And he still wants me. And that's what Christians have a hard time doing. Because we're afraid that nobody can love the way God loves. And that is true. But we're learning, okay? We're learning. We're learning to love out of His love. And that's what this passage is saying. You've got to share some stuff with people. Because there's some people hurting, and you are the ministry that they're going to need. Your story, someone needs to hear what you've been through so that they can know they're not the only one and so that they know you went through it and God helped you. Maybe He can love me that way too. Otherwise, they're going to get discouraged and walk out and go, well, all these people in church are just like so perfect. And they got their act together and I'm just a big old mess. He loves big old messes. He's got some cleaning agents that can clean anything. He can clean any stain, any sin, any sorrow. It doesn't mean we might not have some scars for some of our previous wounds. But He can heal us and make us whole. Okay, so um, that's kind of what He says. Now, that's one kind of suffering. One kind of suffering is the suffering we suffer in this world that are common sufferings to people. There's another kind of suffering that this chapter is talking about and that Paul is intending, and that is suffering for Christ. 
they're suffering for the world and because we're just part of this world system in the world, all the aches and pains, all the normal stuff people go through, all the trials, um, people go. And then there's another set of suffering that we can experience and that is suffering because we love Jesus. And that's when people don't like that we love Jesus. And that's when Satan comes after us. And that's when we cross a line and all of a sudden someone says, I don't want to be your boyfriend anymore. Because you brought Jesus in the relationship and now you don't want to have sex anymore and you don't want to do this anymore and you don't want to do this anymore and I don't want you to work for us. I need you to sign off on this paper that says you work X number of hours. You know, this happens in the medical field. There's all kinds of scandal in every business, in every field. And scandal is when someone asks you to do something. You go, I don't have a real good conscience about doing that. And say, so, well, if you don't, you don't have a job. Billions and billions of dollars pass because people lie. And they steal and they cheat. And suddenly a Christian who says, I won't do that anymore, is no longer welcome at the club, at the table. Because sometimes to get ahead in certain settings, you have to lie and steal and cheat. I'll tell you, there's people who don't want to be your friend anymore if you say, I am sorry to tell you this, but you can't copy my homework anymore. What? What kind of person are you? Let me look on your paper, dude. I'm going to fail. I don't think I should do that. And I'm not going to look on yours anymore. And there's all kinds of behaviors that once we become a Christian, it's a threat to people and they don't like it. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 15. When I was 14, I drank a lot. I just learned how to drink and I got good at it real fast. It wasn't that hard, you just swallow it. But when I turned 15, I became a Christian. And I remember all my friends. It's like, woo, Scott doesn't drink anymore. Oh, he didn't want to go party with us. It's like, he's no fun anymore. And sometimes when I hung out with them, they didn't want me hanging out with them. They, felt, they all felt guilty. It's like, I was like, all I did was not do what they were doing. And it, was, it just bothered them all. It's like, woo, oh, Mr. Goody Goody, and they, you know, all kinds of names and stuff. And it's like, all right, that's fine. But I, I have a new friend in my life, and his name is Jesus, and I'm going to try to walk with him. And I didn't do it perfectly. I wasn't some super something, but... I just know that my friendship with Jesus sometimes calls me pressure in life. And he'll do that for you too. Sometimes when you come to know Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things and the people around you aren't going to like it. And you'll get some persecution. You might lose your job. You could lose your marriage. You could be kicked out of your family. You could be run out of town. It depends on what type of world, what part of the world you live in. You could be murdered. Because you say, I love Jesus and you're not going to give up. Okay, so <clears throat> now we go through and he talks about the suffering that we might go through. And then, then he says, um, he talks about afflictions. Paul went through, he went through a lot of affliction. We have a record and we'll get to that in, in Corinthians in this, this book. In chapter 11, he talks about what he went through for being a Christian. Um, he got whipped one, five different times. He got whipped 39 times. Almost died. Almost beat to death five different times. Three times beaten with rods. One time stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Night and day in the sea. Danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Dangers at the sea. Danger from false brothers. Etc. Etc. 
He felt pressure. I have a magazine I read a lot and it's called Voice of the Martyrs and it comes out several times a year and they're never lack of stories. Every several months they send this magazine out and it's about people who are laying their lives on the line all around the world because they live in places where maybe it's Islam, maybe it's who knows what it is. But there's a, they live in places where people will kill them if they don't renounce Christ. And they're like going, I'm not going to renounce Christ. And they lay their life. What is it that would make someone to be that bold? Why would someone consider Christ that precious? That they, I mean, I kind of look at it. When I was a kid, I used to think you could do something like this. Well, you outsmart them. And they say, renounce Jesus. And you say, I renounce him. But you have your fingers crossed behind your back. It's like, tricked you. Tomorrow, I'll renounce him. I'll, I'll announce him again. And it's like, no, when you really love the Lord, you understand I can't do that. I can't ever renounce Christ. He means too much to me. I can't do that to him who died for me. You remember Peter did it and how he felt terrible about it? He denied Christ and he just felt awful. And he had to get things right with God. And he made that mistake. And sometimes maybe, maybe you've renounced Christ. Maybe you've pretended you weren't a Christian in certain settings. You're like, oh, I don't want them to know that I'm a Christian. And, and then later you just felt terrible. It's like, man. Am I really that chicken? Just to let people know I love Jesus. I think, Lord, give me strength and courage. And so you feed on Christ. And that's what communion is. Communion is when you come and you just remember what he did for you. And you feed on that. And according to this passage, if you'll do that, if you will, then you can endure more than you imagine you could. Right now you're going like, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm not sure I can stand up. I'm not sure I can take this stand. And people at work are going to make fun of me. Um, people on the team are going to like, what's going on with him? Or my friends are going to make a big deal about it. Or I could lose my job. Or There's a verse of scripture I learned early in my Christian life. And it's just real simple. And I, I think it'll be the simplest guide. People are like, going, well, what do I do now? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what you do. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You just acknowledge him. You start acknowledging Him in every area of life. You acknowledge Him. And it says He will make your path straight. He'll show you. And so if you're a, you're a Christian or you're considering becoming a Christian, you say, so what are you talking about? What is it going to mean? What is it going to mean if I have to profess faith in Christ? You just let people know you love Him. And then you just say, Lord Jesus, will you show me day by day what that means? Show me if something pops up and I'm not supposed to go there. Will you show me? Will you help me if I'm in a pressure situation and I'm nervous? Do you know I, I get nervous all the time. I get afraid of things. I have fears. I'm no Superman. I'm not, I'm not very strong at all, actually. And so I have to pray a lot and say, Lord, God, will you help me? Because I, I didn't really want the situation to occur. I don't really want to have to say anything to this person. I really don't want to have to take this step. And... I don't want to have to give this up or that. And I'm really actually very weak. So I have to pray a lot and ask God, Lord, will you help me and strengthen me in this? Because I don't find this easy to do. And God says he will. And he hears those prayers. He says, you must help us by prayer. In verse 11, so that many will give thanks on behalf of the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we're going we're gonna to become a praying people. We're going to become praying people. We, we have a prayer and fasting time, and I just want to encourage you. There's a piece of paper on the wall as you walk out the hallway, and if you want to join us on February 21st and 22nd, um, we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting. I'd love for you to join. Some people can't come. and say Sometimes people write, well, I can't come. They'll just write, at home. They'll put their name in a time slot. So at least we know there's people praying at home. There's people praying at the university. There's people going to be praying in our, our chapel. And they're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to do a mighty work and to move in our own hearts. 
first thing we always have to do is ask God to move in our own hearts because if he doesn't move in our hearts, we won't have much to pray. We won't have much strength to will. You're going, oh, two hours, what in the world do you do? Praying in here, look at those stained glass windows. And, you know, but if God begins to work in your heart and he shows you all kinds of things and the first thing you do is you start confessing sin. It's like, Lord God, I'm sorry for this. And then you spend time praising God and you think about the God and his attributes and say, Lord, you're, you're so amazing. You're so good. You're full of love. You're holy. You're just. You're, you're omnipotent. You're all wise. You're all everywhere. You, suddenly you start, he just starts, when you just say, Lord, change my heart. And next thing you know, he begins to teach you how to pray. And when you first start praying, five minutes is a long time. But as you grow in your prayer life, five minutes is, is not a long time. Suddenly you learn and God's like, wow, I, man, I gotta, I gotta go. I was just praying for an hour. Because I started crying out to God for my family, for my son, my daughter, my, my marriage. I started praying about my situation at work. I have this prayer list I got for people at church are hurting. There's some people hurting and they need God. This so-and-so's got surgery. This person's got trouble in their marriage. I need to pray for them. And this is going on in our community. And all of a sudden you start seeing the forces of evil. And you see this divide between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And you're going, oh my goodness, I need to pray the power of God over at the high school. I need to pray for the power of God at kindergarten. Can you believe what they're teaching kindergartens these days? And hope it doesn't come here, but I'm hearing this stuff's everywhere. And it's like, oh God, there's evil forces out there. I need to pray against evil forces. There are people in high places that do not love you and they're doing terrible things. And there's a, a pornography and child pornography. There's child porn in our community and there's, there's sex trafficking in our community. There's drugs flow, flowing freely in our community. And it's like, Lord God, we, we're called to pray for this stuff. I need to be praying. Next thing you know, you're like going, you want to pray about everything. And suddenly five minutes, it felt like eternity. Next thing you know, two hours isn't enough. And God begins to teach you how to cry out to him and see that I'm engaged in a war and people's lives are on the line and my prayers are going to have a difference and God will hear my prayer and he will engage on the behalf of people who call upon his name and he'll begin to fight and people begin to Ask God, come Holy Spirit, come mighty God, remove, break these chains. And you begin realizing, I know so-and-so, and I think the truth of the matter is they're in bondage to Satan. And I need to be crying out to them. No wonder they can't get past drugs or they can't quit having sex or they can't quit doing this or they have a real problem with resentment and anger. And suddenly you start seeing, Lord, there are strongholds and we need to pray and you're the only one strong enough. And suddenly instead of saying, hey, I think it might be good if I go have lunch with so-and-so, next thing you know, well, lunch is fine, but I need to call upon all Almighty God to break some barriers down here. Next thing you know, you start engaging in prayer. And that's what Paul is like telling the Corinthians, they're like, thank you guys for praying, moving the kingdom of God. Thank you for praying. Thank you for fasting. Thank you for, for supporting us. That's what he says. Thank you. Your prayers, they helped us so much. So many will give thanks on behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers, through the prayers of many. If you want to see something happen, then we got to pray. And prayer can do some stuff. I'm telling you, prayer can do some stuff. And it just tells me we need more prayer. Let's pray more. Let's call upon God. And let's put, let's acknowledge God in our lives. Acknowledge Him. And He'll show us, He'll make our path straight. Quit leaning on our understanding. We're always trying to, that means we're trying to fix everything ourselves. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think you're going to figure it out. Don't put more confidence in yourself and your strategies than you do upon calling upon God. Come to His Word and say, Lord God, teach me this book and help me live by it. And then 
fill me with your spirit when I'm, I'm weak and I don't want to do certain things. Will you come along and help me? And then you rest in what he's done for you. And you think, well, how can I do this? How can I believe this true? Because he died for you. And he suffered unspeakable torment for you. And he went to the cross for you. And he told the devil, well, you better watch out because I'm going to the cross to win souls of people who will trust in me. I'm going to make a way to heaven for people. And so you think if you can defeat me, then everyone goes to hell. But you go back to hell. Jesus, I'm sure, told Satan to go to hell many a time because he's basically saying, go home. And Jesus said, and I'm going to the cross. And Peter and his disciples said, well, I'm not sure that cross sounds pretty nasty. Maybe you ought not go. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're thinking like the devil right now. I must go to that cross for you, and I must go to that cross for these people. And Jesus had to go to the cross for us, and that's why we come and we celebrate communion. We celebrate that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us. He went to the cross for us. We celebrate it. We can't, we're not making little of it. We've got to make big of it. This is big. This is important. Don't do this if you don't mean it. Don't do this if you don't understand. Don't do this because it seems cool, and church people are doing, it's cool a little cup and a little piece of bread. And It's not cool. It's not cool at all. It's beautiful, but it's not cool. It was a horrible thing that had to happen for us to be saved. And we go there and say, Lord God, you did that horrible thing purely out of love for me? You loved me like that? So when you come to the Lord's Supper, I want you to be thinking about Christ's sufferings. And then your sufferings seem so small. Have you ever come across someone that went through a lot? Like you're thinking, I went through, I've been through a lot, I've been through a lot. And then you see someone and you go, oh my word, I am such a wimp. I am such a little pouty little baby. I can't believe what this person's going through. And here I'm making a big deal about this or that. Well, no one has gone through what Christ did. And that's when we are able to feed upon the goodness of God. And that's what communion is. It's when we come back to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, number one, I'm so, so glad I decided to follow you. So glad I gave my heart to you. That's the one thing we always say when we come to communion. It's like, I'm so glad that you went to the cross, that horrible cross for me. And I'm so glad I came to believe in you. And you're coming back to it. And you go, Lord God, every time I remember that, I draw strength for what you have in front of me for today and tomorrow. Thank you for dying for me. I now can live for you no matter what you have planned. I'll trust you. And that's what it means to commune with Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That's why we call it communion, communing with Christ, entering into, thinking about that little piece of bread represents the body of Jesus spread out on the cross that his body was broken for you. Jesus Christ was humiliated for you and the blood and the little cup and it's red, and it's because it reminds you of the blood of Jesus Christ, the most righteous blood, the only righteous blood ever offered to God was the perfect righteous blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you, and his blood is so pure and so righteousness that his blood can atone for anyone's sin who will put there. There is no limit to the power of the righteousness of Jesus' blood. You must come, as they say, under the blood. You must be covered, which simply means I put my faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work 
on the cross. I trust in your salvation. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. That's why we talk about the cross so much. So this morning, I invite you to come to the cross. I'm going to invite you to come to the communion table, but I'm also going to say if you've never entered into your first communion with Jesus, that is salvation. And if you are here today and you're not sure you're standing before God, just say, Lord God, I'm tired of not living in peace. I want the peace of God. I want grace. I want mercy. I do not want what I deserve. I want unmerited favor of God. The only reason I could ever believe you would do that is because you said and you made this promise and you know me inward, outward, backwards and forwards. You know me like no one's ever known me. And you say to me, come unto me. You know me and love me. And therefore, it may be that you can observe communion, but the first thing you need to do is make sure your heart is right with God. And then you come. Confess your sins before God, old sins, new sins, and just say, Lord God, wash me afresh today and renew me and my faith in Jesus. Let's pray. I would ask the, our folks who are going to be helping out with this. At this table, we just have our regular communion. At this table, we have a gluten-free option. And in the back, we have those um, little cups. If someone would prefer that as well, they can take those little cups and that way um, they're very um, healthy for any, anyone. Our Father, we thank you. We are all in awe of what you've done for us. We just can't even process it all, but every time we meditate upon it, we find our hearts just draw back to, we can't imagine the depth of the love of God in Christ. Father, I just, just want to pray and praise you that your death is more powerful than all of our sins compiled. And we celebrate that. Thank you. Jesus for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for rising victorious from the dead. And as we come now, we just want to let you know that we love you. And we want to tell you thank you for what you did for us in Jesus' name. Amen.